everybody and welcome back to our weekly Haftorah talk. This week is Parshas Emor. We're still in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, Prakim Chaf Aleph through Chaf Dalid, chapters 21 through 24. This week's Parsha is dealing with four main components. Those are laws for the Kohanim, certain sacrificial laws, laws of the festivals, and then this Parsha ends off with a story of somebody who blasphemes against God. So I'll very briefly summarize each of those now. The first and second aliyahs are dealing with laws for the kahuna, so the priesthood. We get the rules that the Kohen has to maintain his certain status of ritual purity, and he can only marry certain women. So the women that the Kohanim can marry must not be widowed, divorced, or non-virgins. We see that there are also additional parameters for the Kohen Gadol. We learn that the high priest can't attend funerals, even for close family members, so that he shouldn't contract um, the tumma that, that comes from being in close proximity to a dead body. And we also learn that the uh, parameters for who he's allowed to marry are even more specific. We also learn that there are certain bodily blemishes and impurities that might disqualify a Kohen from serving in the base of Mikdash. And we learn who in the house of a Kohen is allowed to eat truma. So those are the tithes that are taken off from different types of agricultural products and are given as gifts to the Kohanim to sustain them since they don't have a portion of the land that they inherited. The third aliyah discusses certain laws pertaining to animal sacrifices. So we learn that blemished animals can't be used for korbanos. We learn that a mother animal and her child can't be slaughtered on the same day. And it ends with discussing the three sins for which we have to die Al-Kiddush Hashem. So there's three sins which we would have to lay down our lives before we, we violate. The fourth through six aliyahs are dealing with the festivals. So we see descriptions of Shabbos, Pesach, we get the mitzvah of matzah, we learn about the mitzvah of the Omer period, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, and Shemini Yatzera. So a brief discussion of each of those. And then the last, Aliyah tells the story of the blasphemer. And we also get um, certain laws for what the daily menorah maintenance would look like in the Mishkan and in the base of Mikdash. And we get the commandment to have the 12 showbreads in the temple every Shabbos. So that was a very brief run through of the Parsha. And now we'll get on to the Haftorah. So this week's Haftorah comes from Sefer Yechezkel. And as always, I'll give a brief historical context before we go into the actual content. So Yechezkel is prophesying, prophesizing to the Jews during the Babylonian exile and briefly before that. Yechezkel is one of the Nevi'im Rishonim, and his prophecy began just before the destruction of the first temple. His prophecy ranges from around the Jewish years 3332 to 3352. And his prophecy began around the year 430 BCE, if that helps you situate it in time better. His contemporary Nevi'im were Tzephaniah and Yirmiyahu, and we it's brought down that he's a student of the prophet Yeshayahu. He lived in Yehuda, so that's the southern kingdom that's closer to Yerushalayim, and he begins prophesizing after the kingdoms of Israel had split in two, but very briefly before they were, um, the northern tribes were exiled up to Bavel. He was actually one of the very first people to be exiled by the Babylonians. He was exiled right before the first temple was destroyed. Let's bear in mind that one of the strategies that a lot of the other kingdoms that used to attack the Jews was that not only would they take over the land, but they would also deport the Jews out of the land in order to try to break that inherent connection that Jews have with the land of Israel. So Yechezkel's prophecies 
served multiple purposes during this time period. His early prophecies discussed sort of the impending destruction and what that would result from. And his later prophecies are more comforting and they ensure the Jewish people that the destruction is only temporary. And this sort of pattern of assuring that everything will be okay, but also explaining why the destruction came about is similar in structure to the prophecies of Yeshayahu and Yermiyahu. So this week's Haftorah comes from very late in the Sefer, and it serves as more of a comforting nevuah. It's telling um, the Jews what the third base of Mikdash will look like in very vivid detail. So we open in Pasuk Tesvav, uh, verse 15 of the 44th parak, and this week's Haftorah comes from the, like I said, comes from the concluding chapters of the Sefer, and it's focusing on which procedures will go on there and also which exact characteristics will distinguish the third base of Mikdash from the other two. So this Haftor is zooming in on the laws concerning the priests, the Kohanim in the third base of Mikdash. It describes exactly how the Kohanim in the third temple will follow the rules that are set out for the Kohanim in this week's Parsha. So it's describing the, Kohan, the Kohanim as teachers, as judges, and as sort of leaders of religious observance of Shabbos and holidays. And um, the main sort of theme of this Haftorah is that when you read through it, you notice that there are some very significant dis- differences, discrepancies between the priestly laws that are laid out in the Haftorah and those that are laid out in the Parsha. And because of that, this Haftorah is actually an object of a lot of controversy in the Gemara. We see that um, there's a Gemara in Shabbos, Daf Yud Gimel, which says that the rabbis actually considered excluding Yechezkel from the Tanakh because these discrepancies looked so so glaring. They worried that if they put the Sefer into Tanakh, that it might bring people to doubt the integrity of the Chumash because they might see it and say, what do you mean? These two texts contradict each other. How can we trust either one? So there's a story on this Daf Yud Gimel of Shabbos where there's a rabbi named um, Hananiah ben Chizkiah, who he essentially comes to the rescue. He's bothered so much by this question that it describes him bringing 300 uh, jars of oil up to his attic so that he can sit uninterrupted and learn Sefer Yechezkel until he's expounded every verse and until he's come to understand how these discrepancies can be, can be reconciled. So what I'd like to do now is go through some of what these discrepancies are between the priestly laws in Yechezkel and in the Parsha. And then we'll see an explanation from the Rishonim about why this discrepancy might exist. So we're going to look at three key examples. The first is that we see in Pesukim Tesvav and Tes Zion of the Haftorah that only priests that were descended from a certain priest named Tzadok during the first temple period um, who did not serve idols during previous generations, those were the only ones that would be allowed to serve in the third base of Mikdash. So if there's a Kohen when the third base of Mikdash comes who has ancestors who were responsible for Avodah Zarah in previous eras of history, they presumably would not be allowed to serve in the third base of Mikdash. So we see sort of a generational accountability for that. The second example is that Pasuk Yod Ches of the Haftorah, it describes that the Kohen Gadol in the third base of Mikdash would wear only linen clothing. And we know that in the first and second temple, he actually wore shatnez, which is a mixture of wool and linen, which is actually 
prohibited for everybody else except the Kohen Gadol. But we know that in the first and second base of Mikdash, the Kohen Gadol wore a mixture of those two materials, and that he would only wear pure linen on Yom Kippur. But in the third temple, we see in Yechezkel that the Kohen Gadol actually wear pure linen garments all the time. And a third example is that the Haftor and Pasuk Chaf base, verse 22, says that the woman that any Kohen can marry, she has to be a basula, so she has to be a virgin. And this is stricter than the laws in this week's Parsha. We see in Sefer Vayikra, this week's Parsha, Perak Chaf Alak Pasuk Zion, says that there's no such prohibition. So we notice that these laws in Yechezkel are more strict than the ones in the Parsha. And an explanation that I liked was from both the Ramban and the Radak. They both agree that these laws in in Yechezkel are what they call a Tosefus Kedusha. So they're more stringent because they add to the Kedusha of the third base of Mikdash. So we know that the third base of Mikdash is supposed to have more Kedusha than either of the, the, the first two. And the Ramban and the Radak are saying that these laws are practically how that's going to be achieved. So what we see from the Parsha and Yechezkel's prophecy is that there's a changing definition of what it means for the Kohanim to be Kadosh Lashem because as their circumstances changed from the Midbar to the first base of Mikdash to the second and eventually to the third, um, so did the halachas that they had to keep. There's different halachas associated with each of those sort of stages. And at first glance, this can look a bit esoteric, but it made me think about how we as women too see this cycle throughout our life. And I think even more so than men, that as our circumstances change, so does our Avodah Hashem. Our Vodas Hashem changes a lot because as the people in our life change and as the responsibilities that come with them change, we're able to do more or we might not be able to do as much as a result of those other responsibilities that we have. So as single women, we have much more time to daven, to learn, to do chesed, and to be more what we think of as being explicitly osik, involved in Torah and mitzvahs. But once a woman gets married... Her avoda changes pretty significantly. Now she's spending a lot of time that she used to spend being Osik in Torah mitzvahs. She's using that time to help her husband and support her growing marriage and to to put her energy into growing this relationship that's going to serve as the foundation of her home moving forward. And then once children come along, obviously her avoda changes a lot because again, she has even, even more time that she's owing to her family and more energy that she's putting into growing that as opposed to maybe doing other things that she would have done when she was single. And then we sort of see a return um, once her children grow up and they leave the home, um, her avoda changes again. She has much more time to devote you know, to davening, to learning. Um, her chesed might be oriented towards her her family as her children grow their own families and and doing things that we traditionally think of of being involved in Torah and mitzvahs. So even though it can be hard to go through these changes, I think we can look through look to the Kohanim from the Parsha and the Haftor this week as proof that Hashem's Ratzon for somebody can change with time and place. Just because our rules and roles might change over time we're still doing Ratzon Hashem, whatever that is for us based on wherever we are, whether we're davening three times a day as a single woman or we're caring for our grandchildren once we grow our families, Bezrat Hashem. Both of those ventures are holy and both are doing the avodas, the, the Ratzon that Hashem has for us, even though they might practically look very different. Um, so I'd like to give everybody Racha that 
if you're somebody who's going through a life change, is about to go through a life change, whether it's getting married, becoming a mom, anything else that will change your avoda, that you're able to see and appreciate that even though it might look different, you're still her- serving Hashem either way, and the work that you're putting in is precious to both Him and those around you. Um, so I wish everybody a lovely Shabbos, and of course be in touch with questions, thoughts, and um, we'll see you back next week.